and maybe even this morning you're facing some things. So if you would, uh, let's ask the Lord to bless us and to really speak to our hearts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you today, and we're so grateful for your kindness and for your love. And Lord, we thank you for our church family. It's been such a blessing this morning. We want to praise you for that time we've had together to be together in classes and to be around your word. Lord, just a fellowship and hear one another's stories. And Lord, we thank you for the way that you're moving. And we pray that this revival that's in Asbury will expand and will grow, Lord, especially among colleges and universities throughout our nation. Lord, we pray that you would continue the great work that you're doing there. And Lord, guide us into any part that we would have into it. We thank you for the good news of that today. And Lord, we pray especially uh, for our church family today. We just know there are so many needs. And we pray especially be with Melissa this week that you would really guide in the doctors and the nurses as they work with her and pray that her reporting would come back well. We just pray that you touch her body. Lord, pray that you be a Scott too and his unspokens as well today. Lord, we thank you for the boys and keep working in their heart and keep drawing them near to you. And we thank you that they're here today. Lord, we pray that you would be um, with our what we have coming up in our next month or so many events and things Lord, we ask your hand to be upon those things or whether it's our men's breakfast or our uh, homeless ministry or our trips uh, around the world that are coming up we just pray for your hand to be in us and around us and to use us or today it's almost mind-boggling when we think of how many people have have lost their lives there in turkey and so we ask that you be with all the first responders all of the churches all the christians that are there Give them an opportunity to love and to serve. And Lord, bring healing and peace and grace through their hands that your name would be magnified. Lord, we pray for uh, all of those who are working in our uh, jails here in our community. We just ask that you be with them as they go in. Give them the right words and the right tone and the right attitude. Lord, help them as they minister. Give them a power that is different, that sets them apart, that the people in those facilities will see you when those teams go in to love and to serve, pray that you just bless them today. Or even for our church family, we just uh, wanna thank you for everybody that has come today. And we pray that your name would be hallowed in our lives as we leave this place. Lord, it wouldn't just be about a gathering in this building, but Lord, it would be about us as we walk out of here that we would have a supernatural peace and strength. Lord, increase our faith and make your name great through our lives. Lord, we just want to say we love you today. I pray that you please help me step out of the way. Please, you speak and let people hear what they need to hear from you this morning as we encounter your word. And Lord, we look forward to the day that you come again. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, James chapter 1 still. We're going to go ahead and start in verses 13 through 15. James 1, verses 13 through 15. Again, the idea today that we're going to be looking at in a little more detail is temptation. Temptation. I thought it kind of actually dovetails pretty good with the adult Sunday school class that we had as well today. Book of James chapter 1, verse 13, the word of God says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Start with a little anecdote here from Jim Nicodem here today. 
Little boy was sitting in Sunday school class listening to his teacher describe how the be- in the beginning of creation, God made mankind from the dust of the earth and how after our death, our bodies will decompose and will return to dust. The little boy turned to his friend and he asked, you know, I think I got somebody under my bed at home. I'm not sure whether he's coming or going. <laughs> death, right? Sin leads to death. We know this to be true, but today I really, what I want you to focus on is what triggers you. Do you know what triggers you? What temptation is the one that is, or maybe a couple that are the ones that you just have the hardest time with? And I hope that the Lord will speak to you as we go through the message today and will challenge you to be able to identify that and then to be able to uh, abstain, or the word we used in Sunday school this morning was flee <laughs> from that when, when, it, when it shows up. You're gonna, some of you may even disagree with the statement, but I want you to think about, especially in the light of Scripture today, we are an evil people. You don't like to hear that, do you, right? What? Biblically, Adam's sin has affected us all. It's not the point that there is a little good in everybody. It is the point that everyone is judged because of one man's sin. We are born sinners. And we don't like that truth, do we? Don't hold me responsible for Joni's sin. I don't like that idea. Don't hold me responsible for Brother Todd, what he does. And yet, because of what Adam did, we are all affected. We are all accountable, and we are all under judgment. And we don't like that, right? It is something that in my, it's like, that's not fair. If you'd have given me a chance, I wouldn't have eaten the fruit. <laughs> but yet, that is how the condition of our world is. And so from the get-go, we see that we are affected by sin. Even the little ones that we love. <laughs> Early on, they display a desire for themselves, don't they, right? They are going to take care of number one, just like the rest of us are bound that way. Again, I'm going to read to you verse 13 through 15, then we're going to look at this idea of God and temptation. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, look at this, he is dragged away and enticed, and then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? To death. Full-grown sin gives birth to death. First thing here this morning, I think this is important. God does not tempt. God only tests. Satan tempts. His desire is to sift you as wheat. We heard it again in our class this morning, this idea that, uh, well, I don't want to be a Christian because it's such a boring life. And, and I almost, and I, I want to be careful with this, so hear me out. We can talk later if we need to. I almost don't like to hear someone say, well, you can still have fun as a Christian. That almost sounds like, well, it's not as good as the world, but you can still have some fun as a Christian. And I would tell you, there's, I don't want anything else but a Christian because that's the best thing for me. I'm going to have so much more joy pursuing the Lord than I ever will pursuing sin. It's like completely different levels. I've had fun in sin, and then I've borne the consequences, but I've had fun in the joy of the Lord, and I've shared in the joy, and it's, it's not even close. C.S. Lewis says it would be like going to the ocean and then playing in the mud pies. <laughs> you have the beautiful seashore, and you're content to play in the mud. 
right? That's kind of how we think of sometimes being in the world versus what God has in store. So again, God is not trying to tear you down. It's not his desire to crush you. God wants to build you up, but the devil definitely would like to sift you if he could. Genesis 22, I want you to see this so just we can be on the same page this morning as we think about tempting and testing. In King James, in the way it was translated in Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, and it came to pass after these things that God did what? Tempt. Wait a minute, Travis, you just told me that God doesn't tempt. <laughs> Abraham, and he said it to him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. But what I want you to see, you look at the NIV, in the same verse that this word can be translated and should be translated, the idea of testing. Sometime later, God, what? Tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here am I. He replied, does God ever test you? God is testing some of you right now, isn't he? I mean, we can smile a little bit, but inside we're also kind of like, preacher, it's hard. Amen? Again, I'm just looking at the congregation here, and I hope nobody thinks I'm just picking at you specifically. If you look around like I'm looking around, you'd be saying the same thing. I mean, I could just start going down and pointing out people, and I could say, here's how God is allowing you to be tested right now, that he might draw you closer to him, that you might be more like his son. And it is not easy, and I don't mean to make it light, but what we saw last week, if we will ask for wisdom without wavering, God will give us the wisdom to count even the trial as joy as we look to a reward. Amen. Be careful by blaming God for things that he is not tempting you at all. He is just testing you, all right? Now, what sticks out to me in this passage, and I think to most of you, and we're going to spend most of our time today, is a little bit this idea of temptation. And especially, I want you to notice the progression of how sin works. What comes first? Evil desire. What comes next? Enticement. Then what comes next? Conception. And then finally, sin shows up, and then ultimately, what do you have? Death. It was really good on Wednesday night as we were talking about um, the will of God and immorality, and we needed to make a very clear point there. Paul did a great job reminding us that the desire in itself is not does not have to be evil, right? We, we are going to have desires to do things that go against God's plan, go against God's path, right? But what comes on top of that is the enticement. And then all of a sudden, to me, that is the dwelling. You ever dwell on things beyond the point that you should? How about fear, when fear works in your heart, right? Oh no, this could happen. So what do you do? Hopefully, if you're walking with the Lord like you should be, what do you try to do? You try to give the fear to the Lord, don't you, right? And if you give the fear to the Lord, then what do you find yourself doing about 30 minutes later? Oh no, <laughs> this could happen again. And when we start to dwell and dwell on that temptation, that's when that desire becomes enticement. And then the horrible thing happens when it can conceive the action of sin. And if sin plays itself out, where it will lead is death. If we pay attention, hear me out this morning, if you will pay attention, you can stop sin in its tracks. And again, I, I hate to reiterate this so much, but it just seems so clear to me this morning. When the scripture says, flee youthful lust, what I was trying to convey there is that if, we're, if we really see it for what it is, our instinct should be to run, right? If a really vicious, 
rabid dog comes running towards you, what are you doing? Are you sitting there and thinking? Are you getting at your phone to say, rabid dog is quickly approaching. What should I do? <laughs> you don't do that, do you, right? You see the dog, you're gone. You run. Some of you would really like a, a reptile to be around you today, right? Do we have any people that really enjoy handling snakes? I'll tell you, you put a snake next to Mrs. Penn, and you will see the definition of flea, right? You're gone. But our problem is when we look at sin, we don't see it as a snake. We don't see it as a rabid dog. We see it more like candy, right? If we would see it for what it is, the fleeing part would be much easier. And so what I'm challenging you to today is see if you can identify sin for what it is. And so where we're going to go today and spend most all of our time is in a very familiar passage. If you want to turn in your Bibles, go all the way back to Genesis in chapter 3. And we're going to look at the, if you will, the first sin, the original sin. And what I hope that you'll see in this passage is you can see how the devil works a little bit. And then I want you to see it by the way that he works. Hopefully you can be a little more attentive and more understanding, a little more discerning and you can catch the way that he's working to protect yourself from falling into sin. Again, when you live a life of sin, it ultimately leads to death. And that is definitely a place we don't want to be. Look in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to see what the devil does first. And I don't usually normally alliterate, almost never alliterate. But today you'll see these Ds to help you kind of remember some of the ways that he works. The first thing the devil likes to do is doubt. Look in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not what? Touch it or you will die. You will surely die. Notice the subtlety of the serpent. Does he show up and he looks horrible and mean and scary and he's going to run Eve out of the garden? No. How are you doing, Eve? Nice to see you here in the garden today. How's everything going? I would tell you today, that's how the devil works in our lives too. He usually doesn't show up as some monster that we're afraid of. He just starts kind of easing his way in. And then he begins the lie, right? He begins the doubt. What does he say? Hey, Eve, just curious. Just a question. Did God really say you couldn't eat from the tree? Did he really say that? Does God use doubt in your life or not God? Does the devil use doubt in your life to uh, break you down in your relationship with the Lord? Did God really say he would be with you? Did God really say he would never leave you or forsake you? Did God really say this is what was best for you? I also have you something that I want to think is important here today, and you can't always avoid it, but Eve was alone. Where do you like to go when the hurt starts kicking in? Anybody identify with that? Leave me alone. Yes, sir, Scott. If I'm hurting, if I'm angry, if I'm in a bad place, I just don't really want anybody around me. 
But if that continues in isolation, it is so much easier for the devil to pick you off, isn't it, right? Be careful when the hurt comes, when the temptation comes. This is why it is so important to be in church, to be part of a church. Because you need that reminder. If you skip church four weeks, six weeks, year, two years, a lot of times if you're not filling your mind with the things of the Lord, it's going to be so much easier to trip up, to fall, to be hurt because you're nowhere near where the Lord can be speaking and encouraging you. Again, also notice this. Satan loves to attack the word of God. (laughs) Did God really say that? You guys, this is so predominant in our culture today. That's exactly what the devil is doing. Did God really say that this is wrong? Did God really say that this is the way it should be? Are you sure? Maybe God should catch up with the times, right? That is all the devil, and that's the way that he likes to work. So if we're going to stand against it, we got to know the truth. Can we have any uh, fencers here today? When I was a kid, one of my favorite shows of all time was Zorro. I loved it. I mean, you know, he had the mask and he had the cape and he rode the horse and he was saving the damsel in distress. Yes. I just thought that was awesome. Now, if somebody that was a professional swordsman were to come at me today with their sword and give me a sword, they would defeat me probably in all of like 0.5 seconds. I have no skill, no training, no understanding of how to use a sword. What is the word of God? It is the sword, right? And if someone or even the devil himself were to come at you and decide to use the sword against you, could you defend yourself? Do you have any training in it? Have you been studying in it? Have you been walking with it? Are you listening and learning from it? Do you know what it says? How important it is if we're going to be in a spiritual battle that we know how to use the weapons that the Lord has given us, amen? Encouraging you today, spend time in God's word. And then Eve does something, I'm afraid sometimes we do the same thing. When the doubt hits, what does she do? She adds a little bit to God's word. She makes God a little bit worse than she initially thought. What does she say about the tree? You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And he also said, you must not touch it. Did God say you must not touch it? Not that we have recorded do you ever add to God's word? Well, that can't because this is, there's just, you know, and the Pharisees were specifically popular for doing that. We have to be careful to hold to the truth of God's word. Let's look at the next thing this morning. Not only does the devil do doubt, but he will use deception. Look in verse four. Look what he says. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. You shall not surely die. Can I say something real clear today? Just super clear. The devil is a liar. That is not penology, people. That's what he does. And he will tell you a ton of lies. 
He will tell you, you're not worthy. You're not valuable. You're a continual failure. You're useless. Why don't you just go and get rid of it all? The devil is a liar. The devil will also tell you, oh yeah, go ahead. Go try and experiment. Go enjoy that. Go live as your flesh, desire, your flesh desires. It won't hurt you at all spiritually. The devil is a liar. That's his business. Pay attention to that, especially when same things are coming at you that may be tempting you. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God's. Again, that's what the devil wanted his whole existence, didn't he? He wanted to be God. And here he's sharing the same lie to, to Eve. Oh, Eve, if you'll have a hold of that. He doesn't want you to have that because then you'll be like he was. So let's look at the, the way that this works. And I, I think this is so, always resonates with me how this happens. What do you see the first thing that, that Eve notices? She says, the tree was good for food. And I put up here today, that is the lust of the what? The lust of the flesh. The flesh itself, the things that God has put desires for us in our flesh, they're not bad in and of themselves. Is it a bad desire to eat? You need to eat, right? Amen. I love eating. <laughs> I'm all about the eating. But if you overeat or you constantly eat all the wrong stuff, is that going to hurt your body? It's an abuse of a God-given desire. So just having a desire to flesh is not bad. But when you give into the craving for that sinful lust, then you got a problem. And that's exactly what happened here. Eve saw something that she couldn't have, and she wanted it even more. Do you work that way? You can't have that. How does that work in your household or in your life? You ever try to use, we, David and Jacob aren't here this morning, but we did a little reverse psychology the other night when we were playing basketball. You can't make that. That's too far. Something within us says, I'll show you, right? God says, I can't have it. Who is he to tell me? And sometimes we let temptation get the best of us that way, the lust of the flesh. Look at the next one. It was what? It was pleasant to the eyes. Lust of the eyes. Now, I want you to think about this. I think this is a little bit different than the way some people look at it. I don't think it's just that she thought, oh, this is going to make me feel good. But she thought, I want to possess. Have you ever had the desire to possess? What are some things you would desire to possess? house. Well, man, my neighbor, they got a fancy house. It was kind of funny this week, Wendy's mom was talking about um, Mike Pence. And she's like, wow, he just lives like in a mansion. We're kind of like, it's just out in the, in the woods out in Carmel. It doesn't look all that fancy to us. You know, everything's kind of relative, right? What do you desire? Is it a car? Did you ever have to have a certain car? How about technology? Did you ever have to have a certain piece of technology because you thought that would make you better? How about a person? Are you tracking with this? This is kind of interesting to me that some people's desire is to possess a person. And the challenge for them isn't so much that it would be a lust of their flesh, but it would be the lust of their eyes that they could possess that person. And by owning, if you will, that person, they would feel better about themselves. The devil still uses these things. Today, even right now, I'm telling you, the devil is tempting us with our eyes that it might make us feel better. The third thing, what was the last thing? It was a tree to be desired to make one wise. Why else would Eve want the fruit? 
Okay, it looks good. I think, oh, that'll taste good. I want to have that. Oh, if I could possess that, I could own it. I, it would be mine. It would make me better that way. And then she comes up with this idea right here, right? Oh, boy, I will have even greater knowledge. I will be something even better than I was. That's how temptation is working here in this passage. Now, it's kind of interesting. Look with me in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. And what does John write? He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. What I think is so interesting, if you look in Genesis 3, and then you look at Jesus' temptation uh, in his 40 days fasting, you will see the same three temptations. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So Eve takes hold of the choice, her choice. She has real choice. She chooses to disobey God. The devil did tempt her, but he did not make her take the fruit. And she took it and she tempted her husband. And he had real choice and he took the fruit. And then we see disgrace coming. Look down at verse 7 in Genesis 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. The consequences of sin are so obvious, aren't they? I know you guys know this stuff, but we really need to be in tune of it because what we're doing is we're finding ourselves caving where we need to be fleeing. What did they do as soon as they knew that they had this knowledge? What did they try to do? The cover-up. You ever done the cover-up? My cover-up was Corey Thomas Penn. If I get in trouble, I'm going to see if I can shift this blame down the line to the next brother, and maybe he can shift it to the next brother, right? Even today, that's all we see, isn't it, right? When somebody calls something out, instead of owning the sin, what do they do? That's well, not my fault. It was my trainer for allowing me to have those drugs. <laughs> it was my mom's fault for the way she raised me. It was my grandparents' fault for the things that they passed down. Nobody wants to own their sin. And let me tell you today, if you want to find real life with the Lord, you're going to have to own your sin. You've got to say, God, it's me. I'm the one messed up. I'm the one who's failed. I'm sorry. Forgive me and you make me whole. But if you're going to continually blame everybody in your life about your temptations, you're not going to find repentance and you're not going to find redemption. You've got to admit, own the sin. Neither one of them would do that that day. They try to cover them up, and they start to hide from God. Isn't that ridiculous? Can you hide from God? What are you doing? I mean, when you think about it, every day they would walk with the Lord. The Lord was in their presence, and think about all the, that's what is to come for the believer, by the way, that relationship with the Lord. Every day they had that with the Lord, and this day they decide, you know what? We're going to hide. We don't want him finding us. And I would tell you today, why are you trying to hide your sin from God? Are you? That's so silly, isn't it, when you think about it? The Lord's eyes go to and fro throughout the earth. They know, he knows everything about everyone that's done, and yet we do the same thing sometimes. How ridiculous that we would still try to hide our 
sin. They had a perfect relationship. They lived in paradise. They had relationship with each other. They had it all and lost it with a mistake. And that is how terrible sin is today. Hear the Lord today. That is how it is. We don't treat it that way. Look in verse 11, and we're going to see the denial that then follows the deception. The scripture says, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Who does God approach? Does he go to the woman? That's kind of interesting. (laughs) He doesn't call out the woman. The Lord calls out the man. Adam, what have you done? What does Adam do? Does he say, I'm so sorry, God. I can't believe that. I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. What can I do to make restitution? You know what he does? It's what we always do. She did it. It was her fault. And then he goes a little further than that. And what does he say? It was the woman that you gave me. If you hadn't put me in this place, I wouldn't be here. This would not be my problem. Hello? I mean, seriously, is that how we do with the Lord? Maybe I have a drug addiction. Maybe I have an alcohol problem. Maybe I have a problem with pornography. And what I do is like, well, God, if my life had been easier, if you had not allowed me in this terrible situation, I wouldn't be trying to medicate myself. You're the one who put me here. Why did you do this to me? We do the same thing. And here the Lord is trying to call us out this morning again to own your sin. And then what does Eve say? Does Eve say, oh, that was horrible, dear Lord. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I should never. Then what can I do to make restitution? What's she do? It's his fault. The snake. The old, for us old folks, the old funny line, the devil made me do it, right? It was him. It wasn't me. And again, I challenge you this morning as you're walking with the Lord to own your sin. Own it. Be honest about it. The thing is, what does the Lord say if we confess our sins? <laughs> this is awesome. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. If you own your sin before the Lord, you're honest about him, he will help you through the repentance process and he'll help you to stand strong for him. Here's an incredible piece of advice as we think about sin today. This is a simple Danish proverb. I thought it was so good. No one can be caught in a place he does not visit. Hello? That's so practical, isn't it? Think about it for a second. No one can be caught in a place he does not visit. Well, I kind of like that a little bit over there. If you're never there, there's not going to be a problem. Sometimes the Lord takes us into dark places. We have to trust him as he helps us through those places. But a lot of times we're just going to places we have no business being. And I'm not talking about restaurants and institutions. I'm talking about places in our spirit and in our heart. We got no business meditating on these things. And yet we're there. And the only reason we can be caught there is because we've decided to enter into that place. Again. We need to own our sin. Psalm 139, verse 23, 24. This always comes back to me when I think about sin and repentance. 
This is David speaking out. And to me, it should be the heart cry of every believer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You hear the Lord today? Lord, open me up. Can you say that today? Would you say that today? Seriously, would you look at that and say to the Lord today, Lord, I can be a mess. I know that, but I want to be everything you want me to be. Would you search me? Would you know my what? My heart, my motives. Would you know my thoughts? Would you see where that wicked way is that I don't need to be going? And would you lead me in the right way and help me to do that? We need to beg the Lord to keep our hearts clean, not to try and justify our sins or excuse our transgressions. And so as you look at the progression, what ends up with sin, you end up ultimately with death. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all sin. Because of Adam's sin, death enters the world. Pain, suffering, crying, murder, lying, stealing, all these things would follow because of disobedience. And because of all these, we desperately need a Savior. But the whole point of Romans is that the Lord has given us a Savior. Amen? And so we can come to him and we can find healing and forgiveness and redemption. But I'm telling you again today, you've got to own your sin. Let me ask you something else today. This is really hard. With the Lord's leading, would you be willing to help your brothers and sisters call out their sin in their life? No, right? I don't want to do that. They might look at my life. You guys, this is one of the things that is so awesome, but also so scary about this small group of people is that you can get to know these people, amen? You can be a part of their life. You can love them. You can pray with them. You can hear their stories, and you know them. But that also means we have a responsibility to one another that sometimes very gently and with much prayer, I have to reach out to my brother and I have to say, hey, brother, I'm a little concerned about you in this. Would you seek the Lord with me in this area? And instead of my first response being as the person who's being called out, being, who are you to talk to me? <laughs> my first response is, yeah, let's pray together and let's see if the Lord is speaking in this situation because I want to be everything he wants me to be. That is tough, isn't it? But you guys, if we're going to do that, we can't be off alone. We've got to be encouraging each other in this area. Ultimately, in the passage, back to James, if you would, God doesn't tempt, God tests. And a reminder about who God is helps us understand all of this and that he is the giver of good gifts. James 1.16, James says, don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God isn't trying to tempt you or trick you or tear you down. He is the giver of life, abundant life, life to the full. I'm not just talking about heaven as we heard last night. It was so good. I'm talking about now, life now, and then ultimately through eternity. God is the giver. He's not here to, to tear you down or to torture you or to put you in trial. He loves you. And the proof's in the pudding, amen? How much are you worth? Peter says you are worth the precious blood of God's only son, more than silver or gold, the precious blood. That's what you're worth.
you call the devil the liar that he is. Own your sin and ask God to come into your heart and cleanse you and make you whole and help you when you try to identify these areas where the devil would like to take you out. You guys, we have lost our sensitivity in some respects to sin. And we need the Lord to help us be sensitive again. All right, final illustration will be done this morning. Some of you guys may have heard of a, an old uh, contemporary artist. His name was Steve Green. He sang for six years with Bill and Gloria Gaither. And he talks about getting to know some of the work crews in the large auditoriums where the concerts were held. And he said the Gaithers prefer these concerts that are in the round, which means a lot of extra work for the riggers uh, who walk the four-inch rafter beams, often 100 feet above the concrete floor. <laughs> Sounds like a really scary job, doesn't it, right? They hang the sound and the speakers and the spotlights. For such work, understandably, they are very well paid. He says, quote, the fellows I talked to weren't bothered by the sight of looking down 100 feet, says Green. What they didn't like, they said, were jobs and buildings that had false ceilings, acoustical tiles slung just a couple of feet below the rafters. They were still high in the air, and if they slipped, their weight would smash right through the flimsy tile. But their minds seemed to play tricks on them, lulling them into carelessness. Listen to this. Satan's business is not so much in scaring us to death as persuading us that the danger of a spiritual fall is minimal. And no wonder Peter advised us to resist him and stand firm in the faith. Yesterday, I was taking my ice fishing sleds and I'm putting them up in our attic. And I go up this little flimsy ladder and I have all this weight and shove them up over the top and I go to get to the light and I look down and I start to step and I'm like, oh, I can't step there. It looks like a floor, but it's a ceiling. And if I don't stay on that board, the main boards, what am I going to do? I'm going to go right through. Then I would scare Mr. Tim to death. <laughs> you guys, that's the way the devil wants it to work. He's put a fake ceiling under all this stuff, and we got to stay on the path so we don't fall through. Let's stand this morning. Thank you guys so much for your time. Today, again, we're going to take just a little time, to, and I, I want you to consider what the Lord may be speaking to you about is where your triggers are. Maybe your trigger is gossip. You love a juicy story, and you know it's not right, but you just love to hear it. Maybe your trigger is lust, and you've got to put yourself in a different place than you've been. Maybe I, I love, Teresa's been so transparent, and she shared today about numbness. Sometimes when you're so pain, the pain is so strong, you just want to be numb, right? And maybe your trigger is that, what can I do just to numb myself from the pain? And it may be food, and it may be alcohol, and it may be drugs or prescription drugs. Maybe that's it. Maybe today it's fear, and that's your trigger. You're like, I just can't tell somebody about the Lord. I'm just too afraid. What if I don't have the right answers in the right way? I just won't do that. You guys know that not doing what you should do is just as much sin as doing the wrong thing, right? Today, I just want to take the little time of quiet, and I want you to, to seek the Lord out and say, Lord, again, search me, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. Honestly, allow the Lord to evaluate where those triggers are and to help you maneuver them with his help 
so that we can avoid the fall that the devil would love to see you have. All right, if you would just bow your heads this morning, I'll play just for a moment quietly, and then we'll have prayer together, okay? If you need to come to the altar this morning, feel free to do so. If you need to bring a friend, feel free to do so. We invite you to come and to pray if you'd like to do that today.